It is great to see you today. Welcome to the beginning of the holiday season. How many of you are feeling it? It is the weekend after Thanksgiving, right? Yeah, feeling it here, kind of feeling it there. And, and in fact, um, you know, it kind of, things can kind of slow down after a big holiday like that. And I was uh, planning for us to have some man-in-the-street interviews, but I was too lazy to get that done ahead of time. So instead, I want to, instead of man-in-the-street, I want to do a couple person-in-the-seat interviews today. <laughs> And um, I'm just going to ask you a simple question or two, and I'm just going to ask you to give your honest answer, all right? And so the question that I want to ask you is this, what do you look forward to most? What is something you really enjoy about the holidays? How about you? I'm having all my family together. Having all my family together. Nice. Okay. Somebody else, what do you really enjoy about the holidays? Family traditions. Family traditions. This is nice. I like it. I'm seeing a little bit of a, a trend here. Let me ask another question. Um, what do you like least about the holidays? Um, <laughs> um, Besides being asked a question the by the pastor. I'm like, what's about that? Being around family. The being around, that's what you like least? Yeah. <laughs> Finally, we have somebody honest answering some questions. Yeah, you know, for many people, they love everything about the holidays. It's the presents, it's the feeling, it's all that. And sometimes they get through the holidays and they're a little disillusioned. And maybe it wasn't exactly what they expected. And for other people, they absolutely dread getting together because it's going to be squabbles and it's going to be fights and it's going to be the challenge. You know, for many people, it's the same answer to both questions. What do you like most? Family. What do you like least about the holidays? family. Not me, sweetheart, watching at home online. Not me, mom, watching at home online. No, no, no. I love being with family. Never an issue there. Um, so here's the thing, though. Family has a way of bringing out some things. I, have you noticed this, that like family can bring the worst out in us like nobody else can? We get together. Like, I, I don't know. It's, it's as though it just can be so volatile. It's like, um, it's like they know what your hot buttons are, and they just push it and push it and push it, right? Family just has a way of doing that, especially around the holidays. In fact, one person has um, defined holiday as an event in which you gather with people who live far away from you for just long enough to be reminded of why it is you're glad they live far away from you, right? I mean, there's some truth to that. It's like it can be challenging sometimes coming together. And so as I was preparing for this message, my thought process as we're moving into these five weeks of getting ready, going into Christmas now and having enjoyed Thanksgiving is what if, as followers of Jesus, what if we decided to give a gift to every single person we encountered? What if every person we encounter, every person we have even incidental contact with, we gave them a gift as a follower of Christ? And what I'm talking about is what if we gave them the gospel? Now, listen, maybe in words, but especially incarnationally. Like, what if we acted in such a way, responded in such a way, interacted with them in such a way that we were the gospel personified 
toward them. We gave them this, this beautiful gift of the gospel. What if we allowed the light of Jesus to shine through us over these five weeks? What if we made that decision? I think it's a powerful decision. And I think it, it could change some circumstances in our lives, perhaps. Paul thought this was important. In fact, he wrote about it. I want you to open up to a New Testament book, a little book called the book of Titus. It's in the New Testament. You're going to find it after Ephesians and Galatians and Philippians and all that. And after Thessalonians, those two letters, and after the, the, the first and second letter to Timothy, you're going to find Titus. And as you're turning there, I would just give you a quick little bit of background. Paul is writing to a leader of the church that he left in Crete. And um, his name is Titus, and he wants him to put some things in order. He's saying, appoint elders to, to organize things there, and let's get the church up and running, the things that Paul wasn't able to, to finish before he left. And so he gives him these instructions. And then in chapter 2, the Apostle Paul tells Titus what he should teach, how he should instruct the people of the church. So beginning, beginning in Titus chapter 2, verse 1, here's what he says. You, Titus, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Now, some translations will say what lines up with or what is in line with sound doctrine. Verse 2, teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers, or some translations will say gossips. And not to be addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Paul goes on. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled. In everything, set them an example, Titus, by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech, that cannot be con condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have um, nothing to say, nothing bad to say about us. Verse 9, teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. Our equivalent would be teach employees to be subject to their employers in everything. To try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be trusted. Now listen, so that in every way, they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. So that in every way, they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. Now, this word here, attractive, is an interesting word. It, there's, it's a Greek word, and normally I wouldn't tell you what it is, but it's a word that might remind you of another word in our language. The word is cosmeo. What does that sound like to you? Cosmetic, exactly, cosmetics, that's where we get that word from, and it means to make something beautiful, to, to adorn it, to, to put it in order, to make it be more beautiful. That's what that word means, to make the, the gospel, to make the good news of our Lord and Savior attractive, to make it beautiful. Do you know, I was thinking about that word, attractive, and its opposite, and you may not be aware of this, but in, across cultures, in every culture, Statistically, one in three people is considered ugly in every culture. So I want you to turn to your left and to your right and take a look. 
You, you do the math. You, you figure out what that means for you. Oh. Okay, I just made up that statistic. But anyway, I thought it was funny. So Paul tells Titus, he says, I want you to teach. Notice he says at the beginning of that, that chapter, I want you to teach what aligns with, what lines up with sound doctrine. And then he goes on to give behaviors that line up with the doctrine in, across every demographic. He talks about old men. He talks about old women, young men, young women, employers and employees. Across every demographic in society, he says that our doctrine, what we teach, should be visibly evident in how we behave. It should affect what we do. You should be able to see it in action. What we do and how we live, how we react to people, listen, it's either in alignment with the good news of Jesus or it is out of alignment with the good news of Jesus. It's one or the other. The good news of our Savior either shines through us or it is dimmed through us, depending on our behavior. Paul even gives us a, a biblical example of this. Um, in Galatians chapter 2, verse 14, uh, Paul says that while he and Peter were both in a place called Antioch, um, he calls Peter out on this. In fact, it says that um, he goes on to say in that little passage there, he says that Peter, while he was in Antioch, was in the habit of eating alongside Gentiles, which under Jewish law, Jewish men were not supposed to do that. You weren't supposed to have anything to do with Gentiles. And he said, but Peter was doing that, and that's what the gospel says. There's no difference, and that was all good. Except, Paul says, when some certain people showed up from Jerusalem, Peter stopped eating with the Gentiles and would only eat with the Jewish people. And so Paul calls him out on his hypocrisy, and he says, I'm calling you out on this. Look what the scripture said. It says that I'm doing this because what he was doing does not line up with the good news of Jesus. It doesn't line up with what the gospel says he should be doing. So he gives a, a, a very simple example of how behavior should line up with the gospel. Am I acting in line with the gospel or am I not? Now, this is important for us to realize that we um, have um, an ability to either um, in, enhance the gospel or not. But here's the thing. I want you to hear this clearly before I move on. The gospel does not need our help. Now, hear this. The gospel does not need us to put a bow on it. It doesn't need us to add something to it. It doesn't need us to, to finish something as far as that. It is beautiful in and of itself. We've been singing about the gospel all day today, haven't we? What Jesus has done for us, how God sent his son to live a sinless life and to die for our sins, to pay that penalty. He rose again from the dead, and now we can have fresh life eternal through Jesus, through what he's done. This is the good news of the gospel, and it is beautiful. And with the apostle Paul, you and I can say, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God unto salvation for those who believe. It's beautiful in and of itself. The gospel doesn't need our help. But we have to be careful not to detract from the gospel through our own tackiness, through our own foolishness and behavior. 
You see, our actions and our attitudes will either enhance the gospel or it will detract from the gospel. Are we living in a way that lines up with the gospel? Let me give you some examples, just some real world examples. If you are sitting in a restaurant and talking loudly about uh, Jesus and how much you love him, and then you undertip your server, not so good, right? I was told to call some people's names on this after the first service, but I won't. Or how about if you're driving like a madman, like every, everywhere you go is NASCAR and you're the only driver, and you've got that little ichthus fish, that Jesus fish on the back of your car. Are you aligning with the good news of the gospel? What about when you and I cop an attitude when the service person or the line or the traffic isn't going as fast as we think it should? Hmm? What about when your boss or that family member walks out of the room and you start talking bad about them behind their back? Are we aligning with the gospel? And look, you fill in your own example. Man, I had to live this this week. I was just uh, two days ago, um, I was decorating. We typically try to decorate for Christmas right after Thanksgiving, honestly, because I just want to have it done and not have to worry about it. Um, and so I'm in the back on our deck, and I, I, I put these, these kind of large ornaments, and I hang them um, so that we can see them in the back as we're looking out that way. And, and they look really cool, and, but, but they're these big ornaments, and I hang them with fishing wire on this little, this, this little uh, lattice work that we have back there. And so I'm back there working on this, and I must have dropped those ornaments 20 times in the process of trying to tie the fishing wire and get this thing. And I was getting so angry and so frustrated. I was, I was like, there were things coming in my head that I haven't thought about since I was like a teenager, you know? Like, I'm just, you know, I'm angry. I gotta get these ornaments up. And then, and then the Lord reminded me, what are you preaching about this Sunday, Dwayne? <laughs> you think I'm joking, but I'm not. It's like, oh man. So in that moment, literally I had to say, Jesus, Please don't help me lose my faith over these stupid ornaments. <laughs> like, don't let me reject you, Lord, because I'm so frustrated by this simple little thing. You see, listen, it's in small ways and sometimes in big ways that we can prevent the light of Christ from shining through us if we're not careful. And this shouldn't be. Listen to what the scripture says, reading on in Titus 2. Verse 11, he says this, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Guys, that's our Christmas verse. That's Christmas right there. The grace of God that offers salvation to all people has appeared. That's Jesus. That's what we're getting ready to celebrate. This is why we should act in ways that line up with the gospel. It teaches us, verse 12, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. That's the sin issue. We say no to those things. And it also helps us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself up for us to redeem us from all the wickedness and impurity and, and, and to purify for himself a people, listen, that are his very own, eager to do what is good. Eager to do what is good. 
You see, Jesus works in us to purify us and to leave us so that we're eager to do what is good. So that, and when I do that, I'm presenting a wonderful gift to the people around me. It presents very well. When I fail to do this, it's like giving the same gift, but in a slightly different package. It's the exact same gift. See? But let me ask you, is this the package, ladies, is this the package you want to receive on Christmas morning? It's the same gift. But guys, Christmas tip, 34 years of marriage, this does not cut it under the tree, okay? (laughs) Do something better with it, all right? Save yourself some trouble. Do something better with that gift. It doesn't matter if it was on the list. That's good, but make it look better. But you see, that's really, in, in, in a way, that's the picture that the Apostle Paul is painting for us. It's the same gift, but how are we presenting it to the world around us? Is it enticing? Is it inviting? Is it make me, yeah, I want to know what's in that? Or is it beat up? not too attractive, doesn't really look like it's worth much. Do you get it? Do you see what I'm saying? Eager to do what is good. What if we we ended our day laying our head on the pillow and asking God, Lord, how well did I do representing the gospel today? How did I represent you today? Do you get the word? How did I re-present? Present. What did I give people around me today? Was it good? Did it look like you? Or was it a bit beat up and jaded and not very attractive and certainly not very inviting to those around me? And shouldn't we live like that every day? Not just these five weeks between now and the time we finish celebrating Christmas. It should be every day. But if you're like me, like I was on the deck just the other day, sometimes I find it difficult to live like that. I find myself reacting and responding in very different manner than what is in alignment with the gospel. And that's because, listen, you and I can make a decision today. Yes, for the next five weeks, I am going to let Christ shine through me. And I'm going to be that kind of gift and, that I'm going to give to other people. We can make that decision. But unless we lean into God for help, it will be short-lived. Because life comes crashing in pretty fast, doesn't it? And have you noticed, it's not always the big things. Sometimes it's the little things that just set you off. Or is that just me? It's just the little things. There's like five things coming to my head right now, and I can't say any of them because I'll get in trouble if I go, when I go home. It's just the little things, right? You do them, I do them, you see them and experience them, I see them and experience them. But the way to do this is with God's help. In fact, the Apostle Paul talks about that in Philippians chapter 2. Go back a few pages in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Paul is talking about the humility of Christ and what he's done and surrendering himself to death, even death on the cross. And he's talking about this incredible humility. And then he says this in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 12. He says, Therefore, my dear friends... As you have always obeyed, catch that, 
as you've always acted, you've always done. Doctrine leads to action. It's, it's how we obey. He says, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly the word of life. Paul is saying it is God who works in us to even want to do good. I had a good pastor friend of mine said it this way, God is the one who gives us the want to want to. He gives us the want to want to do good. That we choose. That's what our desire is. And not only that, he gives us the ability to act good. To, to act in a good, responsive way that lines up with the gospel. So rather than react in our flesh the way we naturally would, we lean into God's presence and he helps us respond, Paul says, verse 14, without complaining, without arguing. I'm going to lean into God's presence in this moment and respond, not react, but respond the way God wants me to. Now, here's when it's really challenging. <laughs> what if you know you're right? <laughs> right? Like, what if you know you're the one in the right? Like, I know I was wronged in this moment. That person wronged me. Or I know that I'm the one that, that was choosing to do the right thing in that moment. And yet I'm still getting attacked. What if I'm right? That doesn't happen to me often, but occasionally it does. What do we do with that? I want to give you four practical helps. Really, I'm going to call them tools. Four tools that will help you and me respond in alignment with the gospel in our lives when we face these kinds of challenges. So what do we do when we know we're right? Here's the first tool. Focus on doing right, not being right. You're looking at me like I just fell off a truck. <laughs> Do you get the difference? Focus on doing what is right rather than being right. If we focus on being right, it becomes all about us and proving ourselves, and we respond in kind. We try to show ourselves to be, you know, over and better or whatever the circumstance might be. And it's not responding in alignment with the gospel. What Paul says is what you, when you and I respond and do the right thing, rather than focus on being right, he says, that's when we shine like stars, in the dark sky. Like, by contrast to this world, we're not trying to prove ourselves. We're just going to do what is right, respond in a way that is right, rather than worry about being right. A second very practical tool that I want to give you is this. And we've already talked about it a bit, but I, I wanted to say it really clearly. And that is daily, daily ask God for help to make the gospel attractive through you. Like, daily. Just, God, 
Help me with whatever I face today, whatever comes at me, whatever I experience, help me just to, to live in a way that is in alignment with your gospel so that you shine through me. And listen, if you're like me, you might pray that in the morning and then you're gonna have to pray it probably over a few times a day, hourly, maybe even moment by moment at certain, at certain points in your, in your day. Like, God, just help me to, what would Jesus do in this moment? How do I respond to let the light of Christ shine through. Pastor Matt talked about this, um, something similar to this a little bit um, over the last two weeks in his series on spiritual warfare. He talked about it from James chapter 4, verse 7. And it's a very significant verse. It says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And it begins with submission. I submit myself to God. God, I'm leaning into you so I don't react like my flesh really wants to react in this moment. Instead, Lord, I'm leaning into you, and now with your strength, I resist the pull of the enemy to respond in an ungodly manner, to react out of my flesh. Lord, you're helping me to resist the enemy, and then the Bible says, eventually the enemy flees. He stops. It's powerful, but it begins with submission to God. So what does this look like in a practical way? Like, what is Jesus asking us to do? Even on a daily basis, how, what, what is it, Jesus? What are you saying I should do? How should I live? I, I want to read this to you. I want you to read this, actually, from the, the message um, paraphrase of the Bible. Now, these are not the exact words of Jesus. It's a paraphrase, meaning um, it's the meaning of what is said. And I think it does a good job of capturing it in our colloquial language today. I'm going to invite you to stand because the turkey is all still sitting here. So I'm going to get you to stand. And I want you to read aloud with me your own voice. And I want you to read loud enough so you hear yourself saying these words, this meaning that is attributed to what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5, um, the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, these are the words that Jesus said. Read it out loud with me. You're familiar with the old written law, love your friend, and its unwritten companion, hate your enemy. I'm challenging that. I'm telling you to love your enemies. Let them bring out the best in you, not the worst. When someone gives you a hard time, respond with the supple moves of prayer. For then you are working out of your true selves, your God-created selves. This is what God does. He gives his best, the sun to warm and the rain to nourish, to everyone regardless. The good and bad, the nice and nasty. If all you do is love the lovable, do you expect a bonus? Anybody can do that. If you simply say hello to those who greet you, do you expect a medal? Any run-of-the-mill sinner does that. In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Thank you for finishing that for me. <laughs> Turn to someone and give them a high five or say, oh, mercy me. <laughs> you can be seated. What did you just read? Wow. Jesus says God gives his best to everyone, right? Right? 
to the good, the bad, I love the way it was paraphrased, the nice, and even the nasty. (laughs) And Jesus is saying, you and I should do the same. We're to give our best to those around us, regardless whether they are for us or seemingly against us. Another way of saying it is this. This is your third tool. Respond to attacks in the opposite spirit. Respond to what seems to be an attack or an affront to you. Respond in the opposite spirit, which is to say... The Holy Spirit will help you and me, if we allow him to, he will help you and me to respond in a different attitude and behavior that is counter to what's coming toward us. This is a profound principle of spiritual warfare. The Bible says, we we read it over the last two weeks, we do not fight with physical weapons. That's not our warfare. It's spiritual weapons that we fight with. And we respond in an opposite spirit of what is coming at us. In fact, I preached a message on just that idea four years ago. I'm sure everyone here remembers that. (laughs) I actually had forgotten about it too. I had to look it up. (laughs) Responding in the opposite spirit. And in fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 also echoes this. And it's worth reading. It's very brief, just a part of two verses. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Paul puts a, a fine point on some of this. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 12, he says this, When we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. Wow. What is Jesus saying? What is Paul saying? He's saying we counter hate with love. Ooh, that's hard to do. When pride comes at us, he's saying we counter pride with humility. When rudeness and being harassed is what we're experiencing, we respond with politeness and esteeming others higher than ourselves. When when anger comes at us, we respond with a gentle answer because James tells us in James chapter 1, the anger of man never brings about the righteous result that God desires. Now do you see why we need God's help? (laughs) Like it is not in us to respond in those ways. That's not natural. It's supernatural. And we can respond in that way as we lean in to who Christ is and what he's done in our lives. It is spiritual warfare we're talking about here. So we don't come against strength against strength, anger against anger. No, we don't fight that way. When anger comes, we respond with a kind word. And you and I can decide to do that today, but we're going to need God's help every day of our lives to live it out and to do it. Now, a, a, a question that kind of follows this is, why would we live like this? Like, aren't we setting ourselves up to be you know, idiots, to, to, to be punched, to be, you know, made fun of, to be taken advantage of. In fact, I didn't read the verse because I didn't want to speak that over you, but the, but the last verse that we read there from Paul in, in 1 Corinthians uh, 4, he says right after that, we do these things, and then he says, we have become the scum of the earth, <laughs> garbage <laughs> in this present world. Like, like 
Yeah, it's, it's difficult to do that. Why would we do that? There's three, three quick reasons I want you to know. And the first, you already read yourself, and that is one, Jesus commands it. We already read it in Matthew chapter 5. Jesus commands, this is how we respond to our enemies. Not in kind, but with kindness. Jesus commanded that we do it. Secondly, another great reason for us to do this is that it may, it just, it may de-escalate the drama. It just might calm things down. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 5, verse 1, that a gentle answer turns away wrath. I respond with gentleness, maybe wrath. Now listen, sometimes, sometimes it makes things worse. It doesn't always change the circumstances. Sometimes that person may react even more vehemently. What do we do? We double down in gentleness, humility, 